0: Folks, good morning, and can I add my welcome uh, to that of Pamela's. Uh, If you're visiting with us, uh, we do uh, welcome you uh, as you come and be part of our worshiping community here this morning. Uh, And also for those who have been away over the past number of weeks on their holidays, who have returned, we're we're glad to see you back and hope that you've enjoyed uh, your time away. Over the past number of weeks, uh, we've been looking at Job The book of Job. And uh, we've been looking at it in in different ways and uh, taking different themes that come from it. And we'll continue that this morning. I don't know how you've been finding it. Uh, I don't know if you've been taking up Christoph's challenge of reading Job uh, throughout the week. Uh, If you have, uh, I hope you're enjoying that. I know it can be a little bit of a tough go uh, whenever you get into uh, different speeches that are made in the middle of it. But let me do a little bit of a recap for us so that we know uh, where we are as we come to it this morning we started off by looking at the overview of Job. We started looking at how we're going to look at this book. It's not the kind of book that we would automatically think that we would like to engage with. Certainly the first two chapters and then the last four or five chapters are are the the stuff we know, but getting into that bit in the middle uh, of all these arguments and uh, these uh, conversations that are had in the middle seem to weigh us down a little bit. But we approach Job verses 1 to 2, looking at it from the heavenly perspective. So there we see in the great courtroom of heaven, God and Satan. Who's going to win? Is Satan going to be right, or is God going to be right? And everything hangs certainly in Satan's mind on how Job is going to respond to the attacks that he has planned for him. God says, you can do whatever you want to my servant Job. But the reserve on his life is mine. Satan can do whatever he wants, but God has the right to take life away just as He has the right to give life. And then we hear nothing really of, of God in terms of God directly speaking into uh, what is going on until chapter 38, and we 're a couple of weeks away from, from coming to that moment whenever we see God coming into it. So we looked at job's suffering in the first week of chapters one and two in the eternal dimension and sort of the trials that Job went through to get us to this middle section of the book. And then last week we looked at Job's friends, his comforters. Uh, Christoph took us through chapters 4 to 25 and looked at three things that marked his friends. Let me remind you of those. Firstly, they didn't think of Satan. Now that's not to say that they didn't believe in Satan. But they didn't think that satan could be involved in what was happening to job they thought it was all of god and they thought it was all of job they thought this was where the battlegrounds were they never had this thinking in their in their minds that satan was actually involved as well secondly in their mind there was no waiting judgment was here and now There was nothing to come. God would punish and God would bless here and now, depending on how Job had lived and how Job had acted. And so with that, they accused Job of not confessing sin or of Job having so many hidden sins that this is God's punishment on him. They had no idea that a judgment would come, um, an eternal judgment. And thirdly, they couldn't see a cross And of course they couldn't because they had no idea that a Redeemer, a Savior, would come in the person of Jesus, God's only Son. But in their thinking, there was no such thing as an innocent sufferer. Christ, as we know in New Testament times, is the innocent sufferer. He suffered for our sin. And so they couldn't have this idea that Job was an innocent sufferer. He must have done something wrong, and so he is being punished. And so this is where we are today, And we're going to be looking at the faith of Job this morning. And if you thought Christoph was good taking us through chapters 4 to 25, I don't want to be outdone, so we're going to look at Job 3 to 31. So um, if you have your Bible handy, I would suggest you turn up Job chapter 1 uh, on page 507 as we make our way through some of these passages, not them all, you'll be glad to hear, but just some of the things uh, from this this book that help us understand the faith that job had in these trials so as we come let's take a moment and let's pray father god as we come this morning we've been here and we've heard other sermons given on job and what we're learning from them for others this is the first time we're coming to this series I pray for us all, as we recognize the suffering and the the pain that is in this world and that is within our own lives, help us to follow the example given by Job, to be filled with faith, to recognize you as God. Help us even though it's difficult, even though it sounds so easy. Help us to be true in you. Help us to be found in you, And Father, continue to teach us and instruct us as you would have us live in this world where you have placed us. So help us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we start into thinking about the faith of Job, there's a few things we need to consider. First of all, faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11 is that great faith chapter that we read. It's of all the patriarchs, by faith Abraham, by faith Uh, David and and all of these people in the Old Testament who are accounted in Hebrews, by faith they did things and they were found in God. And the first few verses of Hebrews eleven says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And I'm going to start by kind of telling you how Job's going to fare in this. Job's going to come through this. As we look at it, we'll see that he he will come through it all. But it's important for us as we think of Job's faith, we, we understand what faith is. What is faith for us? Is it what Hebrews is saying here? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A living faith in Jesus Christ is exactly that. We haven't seen the physical scars that Jesus has on his body. We were not there to witness the physical resurrection. We are going by God's Word, which is the true Word of God that tells us these things that happened 2,000 years ago. And so for us, faith is believing in these things handed down by God so that we can stand on them and we can be assured of them. And it's faith that is the bedrock for Job when it comes to dealing with these things in these passages. The other thing we need to think about is the two things about Job. First of all, Job knows that he has done nothing wrong. And we recognize this in different passages. So on page 507 in Job chapter 1, verse 1, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So the narrator of the book tells us right from the very beginning that Job is this upright man. He has lived a life doing everything in obedience to God. Then later in verse 8, this is where Satan and God have have their moment. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So no longer is it the narrator saying this, but it is God himself commending his servant Job. God, who is the judge, is able to say, no, he is blameless and he is upright, and there is no one like him in all the world. Then if we flick over... To Job chapter 29 on page 530. We read these things in Job's discourse. Job 29 and verse 2. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. Job harkens back to a day when he knew God's real blessing on his life. But in this In what he is saying, he feels that he is justified to have it right now because he has done nothing wrong. So not only does the narrator recognize he is blameless and upright, not only does God commend him for being blameless and upright, Job knows himself that he has done nothing wrong. He has lived as God has wanted him to live. And he hearkens back to these days that were filled with blessing because he knows that he is right to have them instead of what he's going through at that moment. So Job knows that he has done nothing wrong. The second thing about Job is that Job does not lose his faith in God. Let me do a wee bit of flicking around for you uh, in this. uh, There's a few verses here. I'm going to read from Job chapter 1 and verses 21 to 22. Job said, "'Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart.' The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised in all this. Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So the events, the first part of the events have happened. He has lost everything, but he still says, "Blessed is the name of the Lord." Job is a man of faith, right from the very beginning. He shows his faith right to the very end. And it's important that we understand this because sometimes we can look at what Job says and we can question his faith. This morning, as we think about the life of Job and as we think about how it reflects on our lives and the sufferings and the pain that we go through, I want us to remember that it's not faith that is at question here. We don't judge Job on his faith we look at Job and see how he interacts with God because of the love that he has for God. And so it's important that we recognize that his faith is steady and his faith is sure in the midst of all the difficulties. In the second wave of Job's testing in Job chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, his wife has told him to curse God and let his affliction be over. Um, so he say, uh, they say in verse 9 of chapter 2, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job replies, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So here again, even though his wife is telling him to curse God and have it done with, he still says, no, I will remain faithful even in the midst of all that is happening to me. I still believe in God. I still believe he is my creator. And somehow I still believe that he has what is best for me. It's an interesting thing he says. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? He recognizes that trouble has come. And he recognizes that both come to people in life. And we'll see this a little bit later on in one of the other passages we will look at. Job does not lose his faith in God. So let's look at Job's faith. There are two marks to Job's faith, and two marks that reflect a true worshipper and a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And the first mark is a unique pain. Suffering for a Christian is a unique pain. We recognize that there's suffering throughout the world, there's suffering and there's pain. In the past week alone, uh, we've seen what has happened in the world, a famine declared in the Horn of Africa again. We've seen the tragic events in Norway, Uh, other things on our news that uh, have caught our attention, riots and uh, disturbances in Malawi, Uh, other things happening in the Far East, trouble again in Afghanistan. We recognize that there's suffering and that there's pain in the world Humanity is not removed from this. Everyone equal in suffering and pain in terms that it does come our way. Yes, others have to suffer more than some, but everyone suffers pain. They suffer sickness and they suffer distress. So what makes this pain unique for a Christian? Whenever we come across things in our lives where we suffer and we feel difficulty, we try to measure this up as Job tries to measure it up, thinking, Well, I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God is in control of absolutely everything. I believe that He created this world and He has ordered everything in it. So, if we're working on that logic that God is sovereign, then the next logical step is to ask the question is it God who sends the suffering? And Job asks this question in chapter 6, verses 2 to 4. If we believe in a sovereign God who's in control of everything, well then the dilemma is, is it God who sends the suffering? These are tough questions, because not only do we have to battle with whatever the physical suffering is for us, but we have the spiritual questions that make us ask the questions about who is God and what is his purpose. Job gets a little bit tired of his own pain and recognizes that it happens all over. He recognizes that it isn't unique to him. And this is what I was saying that he, earlier, he recognizes that pain happens to everyone. And in Job chapter 9, verses 21 to 24, on page 516, he says this, Although I am blameless, I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. It is all the same. That is why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a scourge brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindfolds its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? So Job recognizes that things are going on in the world that it's not just him who is suffering, but in fact it's going on everywhere else. And Job asks these questions that we can ask as well. So the first mark of a true believer, the first mark that we see in Job here, is to feel keenly for the pain of an unfair world. Yes, unfair to us as individuals and unfair to the people of this world. Both the pain In our own lives, the things that cripple us and the things that distress us when we look at our television screens and we read the reports from what is happening elsewhere. The mark of a true believer is that it is a unique pain on the physical and spiritual dimension. But what does Job do, which is the lesson for us to follow? Job brings it to God. Job isn't afraid to share his distress. He's not afraid to publicly say, What's going on? I am itching with these sores. I I can't cope with the loss of my family and everything I've owned. Job makes it plain and clear what he's going through, as did many of the writers of the Psalms. They were brutally honest with God as to what was happening. They wanted to find out why. Yes, it is a unique pain, but how we respond to that unique pain marks us as a follower of Jesus. I don't think we should be afraid to call suffering for what it truly is. For us to be upset and distressed with what's going on in the world. In doing so, I don't believe we have a crisis of faith. But I do think we question why. And I don't think we should be afraid to question God as to why these things are happening because in our questioning, we do what God has always wanted us to do. That is to search for him and to find him. I don't know if you were brought up much like me where you had what you knew and believed about God and it all had to be good And whenever things happened, you just said, well, that's what happens. I'm learning through Job that that's not the case. God wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to be mediocre and just sit on the side and let everything pass us by. He wants us to engage with him. He wants us to discover him. And he wants to reveal himself to us just as he will later on in the book of Job. We shouldn't be afraid to ask why. It does not rock our faith. It doesn't mean we disregard God and have little regard for him. What it means is that we are human, created as God made us, searching God for the answers of life, life that we find so difficult. So the first mark, a unique pain. The second mark is a passionate longing. And although Job accuses God of being unfair, he longs and indeed yearns to bring his case before God. The book starts right there in the courtroom with God and with the Satan. And they have this out as to who is going to win. And it's a courtroom scene as painted for us by the narrator. Job wants part of it now. Of course, he doesn't recognize that Satan is involved, but he wants, he yearns to have his case brought before God. Job 9 and verse 3 says this, though one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. Job, in Job there is the tension between his terror and his longing. It's a vivid longing to to bring before God his What's happening, but he recognizes what good in the end would it do? If God were to ask me a question, how could I ever respond? It would be so futile, it would be so incomparable to his great majesty and his great might. And later on in Job chapter 9, verse 32 he is not like, uh, he is not a man like me that I might answer him that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Job laments in this that he wants and how he longs for someone to be this intermediary so that before God he can see fair play as he gets to present what he sees as what he needs to justify himself. Because remember, Job isn't just justifying himself before God, but before his three comforters, who he will recognize a little bit later, are going to spread this around. Even when he dies, the story of Job will be a negative one rather than one that Job thinks should be, a man blameless and upright. This is the second mark of a true worshipper. Speaking, longing to come to God face to face in the midst of our difficulties. Even, we would say, even when I can't understand what God is doing, I know it is God with whom I have to deal because he is God. This is what it is to be a worshipper to bow down before the one who alone is God. This is what Job longs to do. And this is what marks him out. He doesn't sit and have a pity party. He tries to justify himself, yes, to the accusations that are coming against him. But in, in the midst of his justification, he also wants his fair chance with God. He wants to make it clear before God and then before the rest of the world that this isn't fair. A true worshiper wants to bow down before the one who alone is God in the midst of the difficulties of life. And even in the depths of suffering, Job cannot give up because he loves God. Again and again he says, I want to meet God. I want to be right with God. I want to be reconciled to God. I want to be justified, vindicated, seem to be right with God. Job 13 verse 15 says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job's faith stays where it always is with God, even though it is a unique pain that he wants to get through because of the physical and the spiritual, and because he wants to bow down before his God. One of the books that we've been using for this series is uh, Out of the Storm by Christopher Ash. And Ash really does sum it up pretty well in this paragraph that I want to read to you from his commentary. He says this, the point is this, Job says some hard things against God. He almost says he hates him, and yet it is rather like those scenes in a love drama. There is a troubled relationship And the girl shouts at her lover, I hate you. Why do you do this to me? I hate you. And yet we know she loves him. And she longs for him to prove to her that he is not the hateful man she perceives him to be. She longs for him to love her. Job shouts at God in that spirit, why, why, why are you doing this to me? Desperately he longs to meet his terrifying, mysterious God, the God he does not understand and yet the God he needs and the God he loves. This is true worship revealed by suffering. I think Ash gives us a wonderful picture there. That in the times in life when we recognize God's goodness on our lives, we keep those, and that is our image of who our true God is, so that when the suffering and difficulties come, we will be able to hold on to them, knowing that God is faithful even in the midst of suffering. This very quickly leads us on then to a deeper question. Because there's a question that we need to consider that lies beneath the why question. And that is the question is God for me or against me? Because in the moments of suffering, whenever we don't see a way forward in life, these are the questions. Is he for me or is he against me? And this is at the heart of the book of Job and the passage that we read from Job chapter 19. Job, in the first part of chapter 19, verses 1 to 22, he experiences the monster God. He sees God in a way that is out to devour him, out to to do his worst against Job. He sees God uh, as being deeply irrational and unfair and hostile to him. And in verse 4 of chapter 19, it's between Job and God, and Job knows that God will see what is true. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. And why does he say this? Because Bildad, who has just gone before him, is the one who really sticks the dagger in by saying, look, sort out your sin here and now. We'll help you do it. But Job says, no, my sin is to be dealt with God. I know my sin alone, and I will deal it with God, not with you. So Job recognizes that it must be between him and God. Verses 6 to 12 give us the root of the problem. Job is not justified or vindicated or accounted as righteous in the sight of God. And this is why he sees God with small g, if you like, as the monster. Job has done everything right, and yet God does not recognize it. In Job's mind, God does not recognize what's going on. He doesn't recognize what has gone before to make Job righteous and upright. And so it is the root of the problem that Job is concerned about. He is not justified before God. And in verse 12, we get this pathetic moment from Job, His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Job's describing one little man sitting in the middle of the desert with the United States Air Force about to attack him. He's over-egging the point. Woe is him. This is his little pity party. He sees himself all alone. It's his pathetic moment. And in verses 13 to 22, he goes on to uh, the passage goes on to tell how Job has been isolated, and this is beginning to become the root of what everything that's happening in this section. Job is feeling alone. Everyone in his family is gone. His friends really aren't his friends. God is nowhere to be found, and he is feeling alone and he is feeling isolated. His "woe is me" moment, and he sees himself in different ways. He sees himself as alienated. Estranged in verse 13, forgotten in verse 14, a stranger, an alien in verse 15, loathsome to his family in verse 17, and ridiculed in verse 18. And in verse 19, he even says that the little boys of the village, after they come home from school, they throw things at him, so he is detested by everyone in verse 19. And he comes to his moment in verse 21 and 22. And he says, have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? This is an exasperated man. He doesn't know what else to do. These so-called friends are sticking the dagger in as much as he sees God sticking the dagger in as well. This gives us a glimpse of Job's heart. This is where he truly is in the midst of his suffering. The man who is blameless and upright in the middle of it all is having his pity party. What does that say for us? It doesn't mean that we can run around with sackcloth and ashes and say, woe is me because that doesn't get us anywhere. But for moments of distress, to cry out to God is what God desires from us, his children, so that he can hear us in our distress and he can know from our own hearts what our desire is. Is God for me or is he against me? Because this is the monster God that Job is experiencing. But we now come to see the foundation of Job in verses 25 to 27. The Redeemer God. He says this wonderful thing. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. My heart yearns within me. What does he see? He sees a resurrection. Of course he does. This is the community of faith that Job is part of that has always talked about God saving his people, about God providing a way for his people to get to him. And Job recognizes that no matter how long he is left to live, how short or long it is, there will come a moment where he will see God face to face because he believes in a resurrection. Job finally says that he will not believe in a monster God, but in a God who will redeem him. And this is not wishful thinking. The Redeemer has come and will redeem his people because as we look at this through New Testament eyes, we see Jesus. We see Jesus on a cross on Good Friday, and we see an empty tomb on Easter Sunday because we know that our redemption will come beyond the pain and the suffering and our faith will not be shaken. If anything, it will be stronger as we go through these difficulties of life. Handel's Messiah, in putting together Job 19, 25 and 26, with 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 says, "'I know that my Redeemer liveth, "'and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. "'And though the worms destroy this body, "'yet in my flesh I shall see God. "'For now is Christ risen from the dead.' The first fruits of them that sleep. Folks, I recognize that in each of our lives, we go through so much. And this isn't a moment in church where we tell you to buck up and just get on with it, because that's not life. And please do not read into this that it's a buck up moment. We need to be real with God. We need our moments where we anguish and agonize with God, asking Him to explain, asking Him to help us, asking Him to see us through whatever we are enduring. It's a moment where we grow with God. It's a moment where we don't lose faith, but we hold it so tight that we keep in mind what God has done for us. Ultimately, that He is our Redeemer. And if we are like this before God, well then the challenge is as God's people, we need to be there for one another in times of difficulty, to give the support, to give the words of encouragement, not to be like Job's so-called friends, but to be the people who travel and journey with the one who is suffering, so that together voices can raise to God, asking why, questioning why, and together faith may grow rather than be shattered. As we finish, Job has an amazing faith. I'm amazed truly by the faith that Job has, because he reminds himself constantly of the goodness of God that he has known, and he looks for that goodness in the future, no matter how long this time of suffering is. The fact is, we can question God. We can ask him why. We can ask him to explain It doesn't mean that we don't have faith in him or that we don't believe in God, but it means that we recognize him as our first love, as the one that we want to go to to find out what's going on. William Sapphire summarizes the legacy of Job in his book, The First Dissident, and he says, if the book of Job reaches across two and a half millennia to teach anything to men and women who consider themselves normal, decent human beings, it is this. Human beings are sure to wander in ignorance and to fall into error. And it is better, more righteous in the eyes of God, for them to react by questioning rather than accepting. Confronting, confronted with inexplicable injustice, it is better to be irate than resigned. God never, never wanted us to be passive He never wanted us just to accept this world. We are called as disciples to care for this world as God cares for it. With his heart, caring for each other with whatever we're going through, caring for the hungry and the naked in the world, and caring for the souls of people who are rushing straight to the gates of hell rather than the gates of heaven. This is the heart that God wants us to have for his world. He never wanted us to be passive. In our suffering, we need to recognize that God is God and that he has the eternal view. Isaiah 55 and verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. We need to see the eternal dimensions in all of this. Job and his friends don't see it But we have that view that we can see what is going on in the courtroom of heaven. And whenever we go through what we go through, we cannot remove, as Job's friends did, Satan from the equation. He wants to bring down God's people. Of course he does. But God wants to make us stronger. God wants his best for us whether that be maturing and coming through suffering so that we can have a greater faith and a greater learning so that we can be God's people to others who have gone through what we have gone through. God requires us to be his people through whatever we face. And the final thing, we need to be confident in Scripture. Yes, that passage in Isaiah 55, but also Romans 8:28, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Folks, you may be going through a time in your life that is difficult and hard at this very moment. Take confidence in the good that God has shown to you in the days that have gone before us. Take them as your confidence for the days that will come. And perhaps we're going through those moments, at the moment where we're knowing God's blessing on our lives. Let me assure you that difficulty and suffering will come. I don't know why, I don't know when, but they will come. Knowing the blessing of God now will see us through, will ground our faith, and will see us through the difficulties that God has for us because he works everything together for the good of those who love him. I've said it a few times before, it's a funny thing when you hear yourself preach. Uh, Things come into your head, all all kinds of things in the past 20 minutes or so. One thing I don't want folks to go away with, and if I haven't communicated this effectively, I apologize. Neither Christoph or myself or Edna as we go about pastoral ministry in this church or elders as they visit with you, we do not want... To give the picture that we don't go through difficulties and sufferings in life, nor do we want to think that read more and pray more is the answer. We recognize the reality of life. Yes, knowing God through his word and in prayer is treasure to us, but also knowing God in the rawness of life will reveal to us our creator God who loves us more than anyone and anything in this world folks, in the difficulty and in the suffering of life, can we help you to be grounded in the faith that God has for us and has given us so that together we can see and help our way through whatever the difficulties are. Let's pray.